Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Going well. Got to see you and Keith and a lot of other uh, friends from North Carolina this week. Got to spend some some time in the Tar Hill State over in Winston-Salem and had a wonderful time at the Leading Change Conference over at Calvary Baptist Church in uh, Winston-Salem. Yeah, that was such a great day. A huge crowd of North Carolina Baptists. And um, you came with uh, Dr. Rayner and a number of other folks from the Lifeway team to help people think through the issues of leading change. And then uh, I got to do a breakout, which was a lot of fun. They were packed in there to hear Amy Whitfield, too. I'm just going to throw that out there, folks. I'm, there were two or three breakouts that were slam full, and Amy Whitfield's was one of them. I'm, I'm going to guess they didn't know who Amy Whitfield was. They just needed to I figure out something about communication. So I don't know. Um, it was fun. You're the, kind of a big deal. Uh, no. The, uh, the, the great opportunity that day for me was just to see how many people uh, are just really caring about their churches, the community around them. They really want to make a difference. And... Uh, that those interactions were just fun, very positive. So it was great, and it was great to see you as well. Yep, we had a great time. I, I got to spend some time in Old Salem, which I know we've talked a little bit about yes. here on the podcast in the past, and I, I just absolutely enjoy that area. I'm not sure when the next time I'll be in the Winston-Salem area will be, uh, but it, it will definitely be a stop again the next time I'm there. I, you know, I'd Never been to Winston-Salem until about six months ago, and now I've been twice in six yep. months, and I don't know when I'll be back. But uh, it was uh, a great day. I appreciate everybody at the state convention there in North Carolina for helping us out with that, and everybody at Southeastern that came over. I mean, Ryan Hutchinson came over, Keith came over, Sam, uh, all the events team, Trevor and his team, Art Rayner, uh, and then you know everybody at the state convention. And then the guys at Calvary, I mean – Calvary Baptist put on a show there. They did a phenomenal job. Very good. Everything that we needed. And um, and, and then Todd Unzicker, uh, last minute, kind of bailed me out because the uh, the crowd swelled. I needed another breakout in the, the main session, so I called up Todd Friday, and he knocked it out of the park yesterday. Sure did. Um, or knocked it out of the park on Tuesday, came over, and just really, really good breakout on being a sending church and. Uh, uh, they do it well there at the summit, and it was good to see him and, and hang out with him. And he absolutely blessed me. I, I that's probably the highlight for me. I, it was it was a great day, but I really enjoyed Todd's breakout. I mean, that was that was just awesome for me. Very good. It's possible that we may be bringing this conference to other states. We're working on a possibly Florida, South Carolina, maybe some West Virginia. We'll we'll see where it lands, yeah. but uh, we've got some possibilities. Uh, maybe taking this thing on the road. So I, I don't know. It may not mean that you're there every time. But, right, but, uh, but we, I will sir, be. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you will be. You have to go to all things like that. I think the thing that really drew people there was just that topic of leading change because I think everyone understands we're in a world that's changing very rapidly. And speaking of change, in Indiana, we have a new state executive director. Yes, we do. These are one of these, uh, this is one of those things we're always looking out at the beginning of the year uh, where will some of the shifts happen um, in state conventions? And Indiana has named. Steve McNeil, executive director of the State Convention of Baptists of Indiana. Uh, he has yep. been in that role as an interim executive director since December, uh, but now it is official. Yeah, he is no stranger to Indiana Baptists, has been on staff at the State Convention office for uh, just over 10 years, started there in 2006. Uh, like you said, he was the interim. He's also a trustee here at Lifeway, so uh, Steve is a guy that I know well. 
and I yes. wish him all the best in Indiana. So uh, they've got their guy now, and and they'll be moving on. And I'm interested to see what Steve uh, brings forth. Uh, you know, some changes or uh, the continuation of ministries there in Indiana. So uh, keep an eye on that. But congratulations to Steve McNeil. Uh, yes. being named the executive director. Also got some trustee news. Speaking of trustees, it's the year of innovation, Amy, at Guidestone, not a, a ride at Disney World and that you know the, the, uh, in Tomorrowland. The, so. well, or Epcot. That does sound or like Or Epcot. Oh, that know. would be even better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I like, like Epcot. We've talked about this. I almost think you could do a song about the year of innovation. It just seems like uh, that... That's good. That's a good one. Someone could come up with that. Um, kind of the year of Jubilee, year of innovation. Yes. But uh, anyway, OS, back to the story. Yes. Back to the story. Back to the story. O.S. Hawkins told uh, the trustees and, and the this is in the Baptist Press story that we'll share in the show notes. But the very first line says organizations typically adapt by one of two methods, imitation or innovation. And what he pointed out is that in order to serve the people who are participating in Guidestone, uh, they need to be innovative. So that's what this year is going to be about. Yes, and uh, there's some details in here about the, uh, the reports from Guidestone in 2016. Contributions uh, to retirement programs are up 5.1%. Uh, I didn't say what the withdrawals or usage of that is in the re- release, but uh, as people get older, I'm guessing that is up as well. Also a note down here, the 2017 budget was approved and reflected a 10% reduction from the 2016 budget. Uh, which was actually down uh, in expenditure. So they, they came in under expenses, so they budgeted less in 2017. Excellent. Um, there was another trustee meeting that happened. Yes, and IMB appointed yes. 29 new missionaries, Amy. Yes, that's always the most exciting part of the the stories. I know they go through uh, the normal business like the rest of us in their trustee meetings, but it's always great to see the new missionaries that they are sending out. All right, IMB appointed a subcommittee to ascertain the best way to ensure representation of all state Baptist conventions, including Newark areas on the trustee board. I had a chance to talk to one of the trustees at IMB who is on this subcommittee, uh, and they're just looking into uh, some of the uh, changes in the makeup of the trustee boards. Lifeway has the same thing happen from time to time. Uh, I know NAM deals with this as well. I'm not sure if Southeastern and the other seminaries do yeah, because of the regional makeup that you guys have. There's Yeah, there's a regional makeup. And then also, you know, when you look in the bylaws, it's sort of a, a tiered system yes. where a, as states reach certain thresholds, then they are on the executive committee, then they are added to mission boards. And so seminaries are a little bit down the list which means that our boards are, are uh, smaller than yeah. others. So a lot of times these, the fluctuation that can happen, uh, especially in the states that exist around some of these thresholds uh, for representation, that fluctuation doesn't affect us as much as it would uh, some of these larger yeah. boards. Well, and then there's also the change that the executive committee made. Uh, they voted about two to one uh, this past fall to just allow anyone to have any state convention to have representation at the executive committee. That's not the case at the other entities. Uh, so that may be something that they're looking at. I, IMB, I don't have any other details, and we'll just have to wait and see what comes of this. Uh, but it's just something to, to kind of watch as we, we talk about representation on the boards uh, with what we'll be voting for, I guess, in June uh, to approve what the executive committee uh, has put in place and, and recommended right. Uh, to have any state convention have a spot on the executive committee. Right. Okay, and Amy, they also noted a change in the process for amicus briefs in the future. We we kind of talked about that a few weeks ago on the podcast. Yeah, uh, that's a story that's floated around for a little while. 
uh, about their about the participation in a specific amicus brief, but it really led them to consider the process. And so they just noted in the plenary session uh, and the committee meetings, they just noted that the process in the future will involve the legal department, the office of, of the president and the board of trustees. So um, that doesn't mean there won't be times that the IMB will join these things in the future, but it will be a very collaborative decision uh, to do so moving forward. All right. Moving on to a follow-up kind of from last week's lead uh, story and uh, interview with Dr. Stephen Rummage. He mentioned the appointment of an ad hoc committee by the executive committee uh, to study churches escrowing cooperative program money. And that committee has been named. Roland Slade will chair uh, that study group. It will include Dr. Rummage, the executive committee vice chairman, Shane Hall, Dave Bryan, a pastor from Chisholm Heights Baptist Church in Oklahoma. Daniel Carr, pastor from the St. Louis area. Uh, B. Scott Davis, a pastor in the Concord, North Carolina area, just north of Charlotte. Dale Jenkins, pastor in uh, Washington State. Mike Lawson, a pastor in Sherman, Texas. Glenn Reinhardt, a pastor in Youngsville, Louisiana. Hoyt Savage, a pastor in Las Vegas. And Jared Wellman, a pastor over in Odessa, Texas. Yes, and uh, they're they're going to start those meetings in the next few weeks. This this is something they're going to put together uh, just to try to understand what's going on. And I think it's good for us to remember that um, this is not only the executive committee sort of oversees the cooperative program. Uh, not the executive committee is the one that's sort of responsible for collecting, distributing. They're always looking at the cooperative program, and this is in the cooperative program committee. So they are looking at when there are are major shifts in the cooperative program, they're going to look at that. And uh, so this is a report that will come back in September. We're not going to hear anything on this for quite a while, uh, but they are kicking that off. And speaking of the escrowing of CP funds, uh, Jack Graham, pastor of Preston Wood, who's kind of at the center of, of this story, uh, was at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary preaching in chapel this week and uh, was able to have a conversation with some of the students down there about his church's escrowing of cooperative program funds and their study that they're uh, conducting uh, about the future of their cooperative program giving. So there was an open letter from the students to Dr. Graham, and he was able to have a, a conversation with them after chapel uh, this week. So a good dialogue down there in New Orleans. I appreciated sort of the openness of this conversation. I mean, the students, they were, were wearing T-shirts uh, that said, I love CP. I got kind of tickled when I saw it because it looked a lot like uh, like I love New York shirts, you know, the I love NY kind of design. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, sort of expressed their their thoughts in that way and with the open letter. But uh, Dr. Graham was very quick to schedule this Q&A and have open conversation uh, back with them. So there was a real discussion that took place. Um, you know, as a side note, I think this is, it's been kind of a strange season uh, for Southern Baptists. And I know for many of us, it can even feel a little stressful uh, as this discussion goes on. One thing in this that I do see, though, is that more people are talking about and understanding the cooperative program and how it works, uh, why we do what we do, than I've seen in a long time. Um, and, and as someone on a seminary campus where one of the things we're always thinking about is how we can put that in front of the students, how we can teach them about the cooperative program, how we can show them how the cooperative program benefits them and what they can do in the future about it. Um 
I, I don't know There's if you can see sort of some good things in, in all that's going on is it's sparking conversation uh, for people to really think about why we do what we do. And uh, I sort of saw that in this story this week. You know, one of the reasons I think that everybody knows more about the cooperative program now and is talking more about it. What? It's because we talk about it at the first of the month, every month here on the podcast. <laughs> and they're just such voracious listeners that they, that yeah. they know exactly where the cooperative program giving stands. Yeah, that's it. We're put. It, it's it's you. You don't sound as convinced as it's, I do. It's you. It's when you say, no, "Guess I think it's, what I think week it's more it is?" You. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Beep, beep. So it's the first oh, of the month. Guess what yes. that means? Yeah. Yeah. Every month. I know yes. it's probably getting old. All right. Anyway, moving on. Some sad news. Jack B. Johnson was the last president of the what was known as the SBC Radio and Television Commission. Uh, died this past Sunday, March the fifth, in Henderson, Nevada. He was eighty-two. He was the RTVC's present man. I would have never been able to remember these all these other entity acronyms, Amy. Oh, uh, by the all way, all kinds. This, and th- this was back when I mean, I was younger. I was not a Southern Baptist. I didn't even know. It's only been in the last couple of years that I even knew. We had um, one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one year, and this is not the Radio and Television Commission, but it was a few years ago at the SBC annual meeting, and someone came to the microphone and made a motion. And it was one of those motions that they wanted all the entities to consider. And they listed, they may have listed the Radio and Television Commission. I know they listed the Brotherhood Brotherhood Commission. And I remember standing there thinking, what is that? And I didn't know it was, you know, a past entity. One of the things that Johnson did, and and then we're going to tie this all back and it's going to, you're going to, I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. All right, because you blew our minds every week with This Week in SBC History. I'm going to blow your mind here. Okay. He led the RTVC to purchase Family Net Television Network from Liberty University while he was there. Okay. And then sold it later. It was later sold in 2007 to In Touch Ministries led by Charles Stanley. Okay. Okay. So had we not, had Jack Johnson not purchased the Family Net Television Network, we would have had nowhere to air. Ah, Truthwest, California. Nice tie-in. Nice tie-in to a few weeks ago. I've been meaning to ask you about Truthwest, California. I know that you had contact with all of the participants in it. I know that you... Some were um, more eager than others to discuss Truthwest, California. I know that a uh, religious news service writer that is no stranger to many Southern Baptists, Jonathan Merritt, mentioned on Twitter that if we got a reunion back together, he would even write a story on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm okay. Working on it. Okay. That's going to be a very special episode. I'm collecting emails. I'm trying to get emails together. Uh, I had uh, Freeman Field up in New York City uh, DM me this week, send me his information, and nice. I- I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Nice. Like I well, said, some are more eager than others to talk about this. That was a, a real contribution uh, of the Radio and Television Commission. And this was a, I mean, it, it was a big ministry of Southern Baptist. You know, right now we're in such an internet age that that's what yeah. we think about, how we share information. But for many years, radio and television, that was the mouthpiece uh, to really begin uh, getting our message out. And so it was a huge, uh, a huge contribution in, uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention. And our prayers go out to his family. Yeah, we got to do some more digging on the Radio and Television Commission. I bet there's a fascinating history back in there about all the stuff that they did. Uh, that, that'd be one of those things that just be 
for some interesting reading at, at some time. It started in 1938 as the Radio Committee. Yes. And then later became the the Radio, radio. Commission. Because in 1938, the, that's that's what they... And that's all they had. Think about yeah. radio 1955, preachers. they added yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah, right. And there were a lot of uh, there's a lot of preaching on radio at that time, so very interesting. All right. Well, our thoughts and prayers out to Jack Johnson's family. Also, some sad news, Amy. I'll let you talk to this one. Robert Parham, a moderate Baptist ethics leader, uh, passed away this week at the age of 63. Yes, this was actually from your area in Nashville, is where he lived. He was the executive director of the Baptist Center for Ethics, uh, but was no stranger to Southern Baptists in uh, the decades sort of prior to the conservative resurgence in the SBC. He was a staff member of the Christian Life Commission under uh, Foy Valentine and others. He served also uh, under Larry Baker, uh, who was right after Foy Valentine for a short period of time, and Richard Land um, for, and and Richard Land for a, a period of time as well. But I think there were some just differences in uh, there. There were some differences sort of as with many on the heels of the conservative resurgence. And uh, so he began an ethics organization and it was, uh, it was based there in Nashville. He has a site or he had, sorry, he had a site ethicsdaily.com. And uh, I, I'd seen some things on there from time to time. So I think, most people have read something or have seen some connection to him. So he had had, had a diagnosis, had a, an illness. And uh, so this is certainly sad. Our prayers go out to his family and to those in Nashville uh, who knew him. Uh, but that is a name that's going to be familiar to some of our listeners uh, and definitely is a big part of our history. You mentioned that Robert Parham had worked at the Christian Life Commission, a precursor to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Well, the ERLC and Lifeway are releasing a religious liberty curriculum that came out this week. We'll link to the information at Lifeway as well. Uh, There's six lessons on religious liberty. It talks about religious liberty in today's culture, religious liberty and the Bible, religious liberty and mission, uh, religious liberty and the common good in the public square and common objections to religious liberty. Uh, Primary authors are Philip Bethencourt and Andrew Walker and Dr. Moore. Uh, this is also includes uh, some video teaching segments featuring people like uh, Mark Dever, Matt Chandler, Nathan Lino, so some, some Baptists that are pretty well known. So uh, kind of a new take on a curriculum, but this really just to build up religious liberty knowledge in the local church. Yeah, and I think this is good right now because there are a lot of discussions happening about this and a lot of particular uh, situations that really require us to think, how does the concept of religious liberty apply here? Um, So doing this as a small group curriculum um, is really good. You know, these are the types of things you can think of showing up in a history class or maybe a Baptist history class uh, on a seminary campus, but not necessarily in just sort of the, the local church on a regular basis. And so this is a great way to educate um, our church members, I'm really looking forward to seeing this curriculum. It doesn't take the place of like a you know an ongoing Sunday school curriculum. It's a short six week study, so something that'd be perfect for churches to use on a Wednesday night, Sunday night type of setting, or right. even in you know home groups, those kind of things. If you you have home groups that are topically based rather than curriculum based, so that's going to do it for this week's news, Amy. It, that brings us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, I'm going to go back to 1963, uh, where 
kind of a big, uh, a big moment happened. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I do fun things. Sometimes I see where we sort of intersect with American history, but, uh, March 7th, 1963 in the issue, uh, of Baptist press, this was the release of the report from the committee on the statement of the Baptist faith and message. Oh, oh and, uh, okay. yeah. And they were releasing this, uh, because this was at a time when the Southern Baptist convention annual meeting happened around May. And, uh, so they were releasing their report beforehand. So it would kind of get put out. It was a 4,500 word statement. Um, they had asked for uh, they had asked for the committee to help interpret the 1925 statement and uh, that it would be sort of information to the churches, guidelines to agencies. So the committee, um, it was uh, composed, it was made up of men who were presidents of state Baptist conventions. And they even said, it said in the story, in no case has it sought to delete from or add to the basic contents of the 1925 statement. Um, but they, uh, the, it had 17 different sections and Herschel Hobbs was uh, president of the SBC at the time he chaired the committee. But this, uh, this is a fascinating issue, um, of Baptist press. We'll, we'll have the link in the show notes and it has the entire report in it. Um, and then the Baptist faith, the message at the end. So the Baptist faith, the message first came about in 1925 and then there was a revision in 1963, and then the revision in 2000, which most of us can remember. Uh, but it was usually around the time that we were just kind of trying to clarify really uh, who we are, what our cooperation is built around. You don't take lightly uh, the changing of a confessional statement. That's why in almost 100 years, uh, we've only you know done this or revised this three times. Uh, but it's kind of a big deal. So uh, I wanted to share that. That's very interesting for those of you who might want to dig into that. I also shared another issue of Baptist Press, uh, which was March 9th. So it's the same year. For a little nugget that's that's uh, down in, it's like the second story in that March 9th. Yes, I was hoping that's I what you were talking about in love. there. So, I was hoping this was the one. Um, they This was the second time they did this. I don't know how long they did it. Um, but the SBC for a time was providing bumper stickers uh, free of charge to those driving to the Southern Baptist Convention. And it was, uh, they were blue and green. They said Southern Baptist Convention, Kansas City, May 7 through 10. And they were hoping that they would call attention to the meetings and also help people identify one another as they travel. And so it was, uh, it was put in the, uh, this issue that all you had to do was write to, um, bumper stickers. That was the, the address care of the Baptist program with the address there, uh, where they were on James Robertson Parkway. Um, but I just thought that was, um, it's just very indicative of the time. I think that was a time when a lot of, uh, very current bumper stickers. I mean, we see them around now too, but would, would pop out from events and things like that. And, you know, they're trying to connect this camaraderie. So see, we use hashtags. We use Twitter. They use the original hashtag. Yes. They use the original hashtag bumper stickers. So can you imagine people would see each other at rest stops? Hey, you're headed to Kansas city. Um, so the bigger, the bigger one is the release of the Baptist faith and message report. But I had to throw, in uh, the that the bumper stickers were also available, and it all happened this week in SBC history. 
we we should have SPC this week bumper stickers. Um, I I think if we're gonna do that, they should be magnets because nobody oh. likes bumper stickers anymore. They like magnets because then it doesn't get stuck on your car. Oh, okay. Well, so we they could be magnets. magnets. You could put it on the outside, or stickers, and they could be on the outside of your computer. Oh, like that's that. kind of so cool. Yeah. We should have stickers, Amy. We should have stickers. I might have to invest in stickers for the you SPC should, annual meeting this year. You should do that. You should. Do and that. if people come up to and ask for a sticker, I'll give them a sticker. We should do now that. You're I, have I get to like do a it. picture of your face on the stickers. That's something everyone would want in their computer. I think you Keith, should go. Keith would like buy them all out. I think you should should stick with the logo. Oh, okay. All right. So one one thing in this story though that I find fascinating because I'm too early to remember any other way that addresses were formed. Um, the, the address you had to write to were bumper stickers, CO Baptist program, 460 James Robertson Parkway, Nashville three, Tennessee. Yes. There's, there's no zip code. So I don't know when zip codes came into effect. I, that's something that I'd have to look up, but I, I'm just fascinated that, you know, I guess um, this was Nashville post office number three. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Now, do you remember when, uh, the abbreviation, you know, was not the two letter, when it was, you know, T. Well, I think you can use the other abbreviation still. Right. But, I mean, but the, when the, I was, the other one, it, but now when it's I was, all. yeah. But when I was in elementary school, that was actually how we learned it. The T E N N period. Oh, okay. They didn't have the codes um, until I, at least I guess I was older than second grade when the codes started, and we had to relearn to write T N instead. Well, see, of- I was in Louisiana, so it was always just L A. You never abbreviated it any other way. It was L A. Period. Or L. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Or capital. Well, in Tennessee, it was T-E-N-N, period. Mm. But I don't know that about the zip codes. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad glad that they did because um, Beverly Hills 9 would just not have the same kind of ring to it as 90210. (sighs) No, it would not. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the resources of the week. Your resource of the week is... A new podcast. New podcast. Yes, yes, I saw this. I'm excited about this one. Ronnie Floyd on Life and Leadership launched this week. Yeah, you had Chris Mortensen on there. Yes, NFL. I, I wonder, you should send it to your dad. Your dad would probably be all over that. He probably would. I should. Uh, he's actually here visiting this week, so I will That's tell right. him about it uh, today. But I listened to the first podcast. Uh, the fir- I listened to the first episode of this. And I think this is going to be really exciting. He's going to talk to different people about leadership every week. And uh, this is something that's very near and dear to Dr. Floyd's heart. He has done a lot to develop as a leader. He's written on leadership and he's done a lot to raise up leaders. And so this is just one more way that he's going to provide uh, this resource. I've seen a lot of buzz about it, um, but I've also listened to it and I'm going to throw that uh, throw that out there as my resource of the week. Give it a try. I wonder if there'll be any discussions about the SBC. You know, when we get around that time, if he'll share his thoughts on the SBC now that he has uh, another outlet. So, uh, I don't know. Be fascinating know. To, to hear. Yeah, you have to I let d- us know, Doctor Floyd. We want to know. Yes, I do like. I know he listens to this podcast. So, yes. Well, we hope he listens every week. So uh, it, he'll. Maybe we could could share requests. We could say, hey, talk to this leader, talk to that one. It was fun that he started out this week with um, someone from the sports world. I do I do know that at Cross Church, they bring in lots of speakers. Yeah. Um, and so 
he does have an opportunity to know and uh, and to connect with many different leaders. And so I hope we will see, I was actually thinking about that. I hope we'll see some of those people uh, sort of circling through these episodes, but it's just a great new resource, a way, uh, a way to learn and uh, to bring sort of his perspective. So check uh, it out. Yep. All right. My resource of the week is also by a podcaster, but it's not a podcast, Amy. It's the book by Barnabas Piper, The Curious Christian, his new book. And uh, Barnabas is one of my favorite podcasters. He hosts the uh, co-host or tri-host. I don't know. Is it co-host when you have three? How does that work? I think it's still co-host. Co-host? Okay. Yeah. Co-host The Happy Rant with uh, Ronald J. Martin and Ted Cluck. And uh, I, I really enjoy podcast. that. that pod. It's so much fun. It's so a much great fun. podcast. Yes. So um, Barnabas has a new book out with B&H, The Curious Christian. I would recommend that. Barnabas is a fantastic writer, um, one of my favorite writers to read. So I'm going to check that out, and I encourage you to do the same. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week, Amy. Next week is spring break for me and my kids, so that means I'm headed to Branson. I'm pumped wow. about that. I know you know I'm pumped about that. Yes. Uh, and and I think your spring break was this week, or is it yes. next week? Yes, spring break is this week, and then we also have an Easter break around here, which is when the kids are on spring break. So oh, okay. it's kind of twice. For All us, right. Well, that's, that's kind of neat. So uh, we will keep an eye on the SBC next week, be back with another episode and more history nuggets like these bumper stickers. I'm trying to figure out how many people would actually use bumper stickers these days because it was said it was for people driving to the SBC annual yes. meeting and it's in Phoenix this year. Probably not as many, probably as not many in the past. Uh, probably the MacBook sticker is a better, uh, yeah. is, is a better option. Um, but, or laptop. We'll talk to Frank Page. Yeah. We'll talk or, to Frank Page. Or laptop. Here's what I would love. Here's reinstated. what I would love is if we could see one of these bumper stickers, maybe they have one over at the, um, archives, or maybe someone uh, at the executive committee has one or can see one. So I'd love to find out if there are any bumper stickers still left from back in the day. Or if somebody has a 67 Pinto out in the back that they've got With the bumper, the bumper sticker, sticker on. on. Yes, that'd be even cooler. You send that to us, I'll send you a goatskin CSB. Wow. Send us a picture of that. I, I don't think anybody has a picture of that. Um, so yeah. I'm feeling pretty good right there. Yeah, you should but be. that would be cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.